Good morning. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the elders here at Huntington Community Church. So glad to see um, so many of you. I see a lot of parents. Graduation was yesterday, so congratulations. If you were not here last week, we started a new series. It's called Who's Your One? And we passed out these prayer guides last week and a bookmark. There's plenty left. They're in the back on the table. And uh, basically, we're spending a month looking at this idea of, has God put somebody in your life that you can be praying for that is far from God that needs to know Jesus? Um, we love getting together and celebrating what the Lord's done in our lives, but we realize we're only here because someone's told us about Jesus. And so we need to keep that going. We need to tell other people about Jesus. And so here's a prayer guide that's really good. You pick one person in your life um, that's far from God, and then on the front cover you're going to write their name in, and you're going to pray that prayer for them. When you read that scripture, then pray that prayer for them. Uh, so this has been really good for me this week. I was um, just overwhelmed praying um, day four this week, the Acts 16 passage about Lydia, where it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And then it goes down to, to the prayer that's written out for us. It says, do for this person what you did for Lydia. I thought, man, that's a beautiful prayer. Uh, and so I've just been praying that for my one this week. Uh, so I hope you take this seriously, that, that you're praying, trusting that God can change the hearts of men and women here in the city. Uh, so that's where we're headed. And so this morning, we are looking at um, the healing of the paralytic in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, turn with me there. Uh, Luke chapter 5, the healing of the paralytic. I love this passage. I, I preach it um, a few times here at this church, and every time I, I, I preach it and study it, I just find something new in it. It just gets me so excited. And so, um, it's early in Jesus' ministry, and um, there's a lot of hype, a lot of buzz about his teaching. People are, are hearing about his healings and wanting to see what's going on, and so that's where we are this morning. He just called his first disciples earlier in chapter 5, and so they're all learning who this guy is too, and in verse 17 is where we'll pick up this morning. It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins? But God alone. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray together. Father, may you bless the reading of your word. May it minister to our hearts this morning. May our lives be changed because our Bibles are opened. Lord, may we be a church that loves your word, that we are in it more than just Sunday mornings, that we are just meditating on your words day and night throughout our week, knowing that it's powerful. And so, Lord, as I begin to teach this passage, I pray that you'd be uh, gracious to me, that in my limited vocabulary and words of trying to explain the mysteries of the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would be kind, that you would open up our hearts our eyes, our ears, to see and hear the truth of Scripture today. God, you are so good and kind and merciful to us. Lord, may we see an extraordinary work done today as well. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I, I love narratives in the Bible. Uh, one of the things I, I do when I'm reading a narrative is I just put myself in the story. And so I, when I read this story, I, I picture myself being one of those four guys, carrying my friend, this paralyzed friend, buddy, uh, to, to meet Jesus. And I just put myself in this story, or, or I may put myself in the house, uh, listening to Jesus, and then you start to see some dirt fall from the ceiling. These were like kind of mud thatch roofs. And so you start to see something fall, crumble. Uh, and, you know, I just put myself in these stories and they just come alive. And so uh, today I just want us to see these men, these, these four men, they had a purpose. Uh, and so let's just think of it from this way. I want you to see this, that these men had a mission. These men had a mission. And we see that in verse 18. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and, and lay him before Jesus. That's their plan. They woke up that day. They, obviously, they heard something about Jesus. They knew that Jesus could, could bring a healing to this man. Uh, we don't know a lot about the man or the guys. Um, we don't know if these were friends from childhood that grew up together, and, or if these were um, caretakers of this guy, but... Um, they at least loved him enough, they wanted him um, to have some kind of healing. And that was their mission, it drove them, it drove them to, to get on the roof, to bust op open the, the roof of the house, it wasn't their house, and uh, dropped in their uh, friend, lowered him down, it drove them, mission drives us. Um, Jesus says that... Um, What's resting in your heart, like whatever you treasure, there your heart will be also. Uh, I can just hang out with you guys for maybe five, ten minutes, 
and find out what your treasure is. It's going to be what you talk about. It's going to be what drives you. And, and, and that's, that's what mission is. Mission is what drives you. And uh, Jesus had a mission. Jesus came on a mission. He wasn't just wandering around the world just aimlessly. He had a plan. He had a mission. What was it? Luke 19 tells us. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. He was doing just fine in heaven. But he got up off his throne, came to this world because there was a problem. And it was his mission to fix the problem, to save those who were, who were lost. And so his mission to bring salvation to mankind drove him to the cross. You saw his actions meet his mission. He had a plan. It was to save people, and so you saw everything in his life led up to accomplish that mission. Our church has a mission. Jay just read it a little bit ago. It's to know God, uh, to find community, to make disciples, change the world. That mission drives this church. Um, if it doesn't fit into those things, we don't do it. We'll say no so we can say yes to those things. Mission drives us. What's your mission? What's driving you right now? What big dreams do you have that you want to see the Lord work through your life? You, you, do you have one for your family? I know like some families, like you have like maybe a mission statement for your own family. Like you're just that driven. And so you've got like a Bible verse with your mission. It, it's, you know, and, and I just I love thinking about Dustin. You know, you've got this baby coming along. I'm sure you already have like this outline, this, these like four things, and, and they're all going to start with A, of uh, these four things for this child, and it's going to be, um, it's on the um, nursery wall already, and you just, and like, you may, maybe like you just repeat that as a family, this is, okay, this is why the good ones exist, and, and you say these things, and every child can repeat those things. What big dreams do you have for your family? Do you just get up and go to work and go to school, come home, make dinner, and hit repeat? If you're not careful, you can get in that groove, right? Where it's just like same thing, like what did I do today? I just did a lot of laundry and just another meal was made and then more dishes uh, were cleaned and then you just get up and do it all again. You, you know what I mean? You just go to the same job, do the same thing, and then a whole week goes by. Like what are we doing? What big dreams do you have for your family? That will drive you. Let your dreams drive you. Have, have goals and dreams for, you, for your family. Like, how are you going to reach your community? The people on your street, do you feel any responsibility for them? That God puts you on that street. And how can you leverage your location for the gospel here in Huntington? God's put you in that place. You're not just randomly living there. God's got you there for a reason. What's holding you back from those dreams, those big passions that you, that you have for your family? Um, you, what, you know, it's so easy to get sidetracked. You've got these big desires and dreams and missions and plans, and, 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 and yet we get busy with stuff. You want to watch another episode of some show on Netflix, and, and, and yet, like, your big dream, passion, goals were 
to read Scripture, to get in Scripture more, memorize, meditate on Scripture, share your faith, and yet that's not priority. And so these men, they, they loved their friend enough. They, they picked him up, carried him. It was a hard mission, but they were on mission that day. The mission was to get this man to Jesus. But yet, like so many missions, there's an obstacle. And so these men encountered one. They encountered an obstacle. Um, we see that. A um, couple obstacles that, that, that they encountered. The first one you see um, in uh, verse 19a, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. So just think about it. They got excited. Hey, this man, Jesus, he's, he's close. Let's, let's pick up whatever his name is. Let's pick up. Our friend, let's take him to Jesus. And they're on their way. You imagine they're excited. And they get there and they're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. We, we can't get in. You know how sad is this? Like, I, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to turn around and go home? Maybe we'll catch him the next house. They were driven. They had an obstacle in front of them, but it didn't keep them from trying to get to Jesus. I love this. Not even the roof. Like, there was the crowd, like, well, we can't get him in. It's kind of hard. I myself might be able to get in, but I can't get a bed in there. And they just thought, well, forget the door. Let's go to plan B. Let's get on top of the roof. Now, this seems really strange in our culture, but in their culture, most houses had stairs going up to the external part of the roof. Um, they had no air conditioning. In the evenings, the homes were really hot from the sun. And so the roof would collect the breeze. And so a lot of the houses had stairs where you get on top and uh, just kind of sit up there in the evenings. And so they used the stairs or some way to get on top. And then they broke open these roofs. And it, don't think like, um, I'm going to date myself, Gilligan's Island, like bamboo and like leaves. This is like thick mud that they would have had to like break through. It's not just some sticks, okay? Um, and, and so they broke through the roof and lowered their friend in, just interrupted the whole service, lowering their friend in, saying, I want you to meet my friend. And um, I'm reminded when I read this that, that we're going to face obstacles, that you've got some kind of mission, you've got dreams, aspirations, but they often are faced with obstacles. And I think sometimes obstacles are, are there for us to learn, to grow. And so we see that obstacle, and you've got a couple, couple options. I can run away and just quit, or I can push through it. And obstacles remind me that I'm not in control, and I need to be reminded of that. Because I often plan my day that I'm in control. I've got this checklist. I'm going to get these things done. Uh, and the Lord often throws me obstacles to remind me that He is sovereign. Read the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms will remind you that you are not God and that He is. Um, one of my favorite Psalms says, is, is, Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. He is sovereign, He's in control. You and I are not, and I need to be reminded of that, because I often think that I am, and I'm not in control of this world. I'm not even in, in control of my own simple life. The Lord's in control, 
And you're going to face here, uh, this literally was a closed door, uh, where these guys could not get in. It was an obstacle, but they didn't quit. They had something in them to drive them, like, we want our friend to meet Jesus. Are you driven? What do you do when God gives you the closed door? Do you just quit? Do you pout? Do you pray harder? What do you do? This is why I love coaching baseball. Um, I have 12 kids on my team this year, and I have like about four that just want to quit all the time. They, they're just so, like, obstacle comes, whatever it is, they miss a ball, they strike out, they just want to quit. And, and just keep pushing them, like, you cannot quit. There's going to be times in life you're going to face something a lot harder than a ground ball or a fast pitcher. You just can't quit. You've got to get up, you've got to dust yourself off and keep going. Here's the problem with us, like our mission, like some of you have these big dreams, and I pray that part of your dream is this, like, like you're dreaming, like, Lord, save my friend. But you know who hates that? It is Satan. And, and, and demons, like, they're going to put obstacles up the best they can to stop you. There's a great book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I love that book. The whole book's about how demons, like, their role is to put obstacles in your life. They want to disrupt your day, either to keep you from praying or reading your, um, your Bibles, talking to people about Jesus. What do you do when you face those obstacles? We've got to keep pushing forward. So I... I pray that when obstacles come, like you just don't see the closed door and go, well, I guess we go home. Today didn't work out the way I wanted. But you just think, maybe there's a plan B that God wants me to do today. Plan A was my plan. But maybe in his sovereignty, plan B was, it's his plan A, right? It's our plan B. And so let us think about how we can just keep moving forward with, with God's plan. So these men, they had a mission, they had an obstacle. And I love this, that these men had an eager expectation. They didn't quit because they believed in Jesus. They believed that he could actually do um, what no one else could do. I, I, I love this. Um, verse 19, same verse. As you keep going, you, you see the, the effort they, that they had when they were ripping up the roof and letting him in uh, through the ceiling. They were willing to take risks because they believed in, in the power of God. Are you willing to take risks? Do you think that Jesus can actually do what he says that he can do? See, sometimes I don't, and I know I don't just because Scripture has all these promises, and yet I see in my, in my own life that I, I just... I doubt, I don't trust, these very clear commands, um, these promises that he's given us. Uh, we were singing about some of these promises earlier, that he never leaves our side. That's a promise he makes to his children, that once he's in you, he's not leaving you. But yet, I've, I don't live that way. I live like I'm alone. I live like he's miles away and I'm doing everything on my own. And, and so I know that I can forget this, that I don't always live with this eager expectation. 
But these men, they were eager to bring their friend to Jesus. They expected something to happen that day. Do you wake up in the morning and get dressed knowing that God's going to do something today? Do you expect Him to do something in your life? Or do you just get up and go to work and just expect the same things to happen? I'm guilty of that. And I'm just repenting. Like, Lord, change me. Give me faith to believe that today can be different. It doesn't have to be the same old mundane life. That I'm willing to take risks. Like, read the Old Testament. It's full of men and women who took risks. Where, where people said, what are you doing? That's crazy. And they said, you know what? I'm just going to trust. Um, Xavier and I are reading through Judges right now. My, my oldest son. And so we're reading through Judges, and you see somebody taking risk after risk after risk. Um, crazy stories in the book of Judges. We're reading about um, Gideon. It took him a while, man. He did not want to take those risks. He was like, okay, Lord, if you really want to do it, let, let me pray this way. Okay, you answered. Hmm, I wasn't going to expect you to answer. So let me, uh, let me flip that prayer around. Now, Lord, if you really want me to do it, do it this way. Oh, okay, you did again. Oh, man. Okay, uh, Lord, if, if this is true, then let me pray this way. And, and the Lord just kept answering his prayer after prayer, sending him angels um, that would appear to him, just showing him, like, take this risk, Gideon. And finally Gideon said, okay, Lord, I will do it. And he took 300 men and, and, and had an incredible victory, but it wasn't in his power. They did nothing. All they did was blow a trumpet. It was in the power of the Lord that saved Israel from the hand of Midianite that day. It wasn't anything that Gideon did. He was just faithful and just trusted that the Lord was going to do something. I think of Joshua, one of the 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb went with the other 10 and surveyed the land. They came back and 10 spies said, there's no way we're going to win that battle. Those guys are bigger than us, stronger than us. They got more resources than us. We might as well just quit, go back to Egypt, be slaves. Two men, Joshua and Caleb said, no, if our God is for us, why, why would we stop? Let's go, let's go for this. And so Joshua and Caleb took a risk. Joshua went to the promised land. He took a risk. They were bigger, stronger, had more resources. But again, how they won that battle, first battle. Not anything that they did. All they did was walk around the walls. God did all the work. But yet so often we think that we've got to do everything. God's the victor. He's the one who's bringing these stories together. He's the one that's doing it all. We just have to expect him to work. Do you get up every day knowing that your Jesus is the Lord of all? That anywhere you walk today, he's in control. Complete control. Not partly in control. He is the Lord of your work. Every coworker that you think, there's no way they want to hear the gospel, guess who their Lord is? Jesus. He oversees everything in their life just as he does your life. The only difference is, is you've bowed your knee down and you've confessed that he's Lord. They have yet to do that. And so when you're reading those Old Testament stories, like 
See how Jesus, like, God is victorious, that he, he's calling them out to take risks. And here these guys took a risk. I'm going to take them to Jesus. Um, they expected something to happen. This fourth one, most important one. These men that day, they got more than they bargained for. It's the most important part of this story. Because this can easily be like a very man-driven story, like be a better you. I mean, you get to this one. These men got more than they bargained for. When you think about this in verse 20, they lowered their friend down. They did all that work. They get him down to where, like, obviously the crowd has stopped. I would love to know what Jesus was teaching that day. Like, what part of the Old Testament was he reading from? I'd love to know that. Because he knew, like, Jesus knew, okay, in about 10 seconds, the roof's going to come in. They're going to lower a guy down. He, like, he's perceiving the thoughts of the crowd. He obviously knew this was going to happen. He was not shocked that day. So he knew, like, oh, man, I can't wait to teach this passage. This is the day that I'm, I'm going to show them the Son of Man has all authority. And so he, he's teaching. The roof comes in. They lower him down. They're like, yeah, I think now you're the guys on the roof. You're lowering your friend down. And they, and they get down, and they're listening. And Jesus says to your friend, who you've done all this work for, man, your, your sins are forgiven. Imagine what, you know, they're looking down. Billy, what, what did Jesus say? He said, my sins are forgiven. He said, what? Ask him about your legs. You, you know what I mean? And, and here in this very unique situation where the obvious is there, like this man has an obvious need. He can't walk. And we don't know if it's been that way since birth, but he cannot walk. He needs help. And you see what Jesus shows us, what our greatest need is. It's not that this man can get up and walk. That's not his greatest need that day. His greatest need, that his sins would be forgiven. That's the greatest need in this world today. That your sins would be forgiven. That, that's why I want to take this month and just really focus on evangelism. That we're praying, like, Lord, like, move. I'm going to pray these 30 prayers for someone I care about. And I just, I'm just going to trust. I'm going to expect that somehow in prayer, and I, I don't know how prayer works fully, but I know that when I pray, something happens. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to expect that when I pray for my one, that God is working in his life. That he's chipping away at the hardness of his heart. And I'm trusting that one day that, that my friend's sins will be forgiven. I'm I, I just, just trusting. I'm just praying uh, that he would see his greatest need. This man, these guys thought the greatest need for your friend that day was, was that his, uh, he was paralyzed. And Jesus says, no, this man's greatest need is not external but internal. He had an internal problem. He was sinful. And so Jesus heals this man's sins. And um, uh, he, he forgives him. And the, like the Pharisees that were there, they, they were just um, upset. 
They said, who is this man that would blaspheme? Who would say this? Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus perceives their thoughts. And this is where he just wants to show them. And so he gives this great example. He says, okay, I, I, I know what you're thinking. Um, you're thinking, like, who, who can say such things? And he says, let me just prove a point to you. What should be harder? Now think about this. If a man was laying here, for me to say to that man, hey, your, your sins are forgiven, or for me to tell him to get up and walk. Now, if I say your sins are forgiven, none of you guys would ever know if that's the case or not, right? I can say that, but you won't know that until he gets to heaven. But if I tell him to get up and walk and the guy gets up and walk, we know something happened. And so Jesus says, okay, let me just show you what I can do, that I have authority over all things. So he tells him, get up. Now think about it. There's so many medical people here in this room. And I love reading this passage with medical people because they just, their minds are blown. Because not only did this guy just get up, like think about what, what would have happened. Like those of you who do like therapy, like you're blown away at this passage because like you know someone who's been paralyzed for a long time. Um, even think about some of you like broken bones or you, you couldn't use a part of your body. It begins to get weak. Those muscles, like, don't work very well, um, become very weak. You, you just couldn't have a guy who's paralyzed for years just all of a sudden be healed and get up and walk. Um, like, he'd be too weak. But yet here, this guy's like, oh, wow. And he just gets up, gets his mat, just goes home. Like, that's amazing that Jesus can overcome every part of the body, like the muscles, all that. He's working together, and he fully heals this man. It's where he picks up his bed and just walks out of there. And the people were amazed. Um, and they saw something extraordinary that day. And I just want to challenge you that the something extraordinary in this passage was not that the man got up and walked away. The something extraordinary that day was that a man's sins could be forgiven. That's what I want us leaving with today. Now, that, some of you, you're thinking, no, no, the cool part was where he got up and walked. No, the cool part was where this man's sins were forgiven. That's the bigger problem. Um, we have to live a perfect life to get into heaven. And we have all sinned and fallen short and Jesus is showing us that our bigger problem is something inside. It's the spiritual problem, not a physical one. Jesus says this in Matthew 18. He says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown in the eternal fire. So let me just challenge like this is the whole like there's this false gospel and it's it's rampant in our country that if you're in Christ that that you have no more problems that if you have enough faith you will never have any kind of financial problems you'll never have any kind of physical problems let me just tell you that's garbage it's not in scripture Jesus primary concern is not with your health it's with your 
It's with your heart. That, listen, he, I'm not saying he doesn't care about your health, he doesn't care about your finances, but that's not his primary concern. His primary concern is that you love him more than anything else in this world. And he will rip away things from you to get you to a place to where you see him as the most important need in your life. Here, he's even saying, if there's a part of your body that's causing you to stumble, cut it off. It's not that important. What's more important is that you see Jesus as the treasure. And if you think some relationship or some kind of uh, job, some position, if that's priority, he's going to continue to rip those things away from you. You are never going to be satisfied in those because that's not how you're created to live. You're created to glorify God. And he's going to do everything he can to put obstacles in your way to bring you to your knees to where you will glorify him. And so here's this story right here in, Matt, in, in, in Luke's gospel of the, these men. They were on a purpose. They had this mission to, to bring their friend. They, they trusted that God was going to do something that day. And they got more than they bargained for. Their friend was healed, but the greater miracle that day was that his sins were forgiven. Do you believe that about you? Do you believe that the greatest miracle in your life right now is that Jesus forgave you of your sin? It's not that he can raise the dead um, or the lame. It's that he can raise you from the dead spiritually. That's the greatest miracle. That he can take someone wretch who has rebelled and dead in their sin and he can pick them up, breathe new life into them, and give you a purpose in his kingdom. That is the most incredible miracle in the Bible um, for us. I want to close with this story. As we think about who's your one, as we think about Jesus calling you, know, he called his disciples, the very first thing he told them to do is go and I'll make you fishers of men. He ended then in Matthew 28 and Acts 1, which we were, where we were last week, of go, make disciples. And, and, and so we have this calling. Now that we've been saved, we have this calling to go. I just want to read this story to you as, as we close this morning. It says, now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of a fisherman. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. 
these fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and that every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there would be many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing and to decide what new stream should be thought about. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychology reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing license. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with many fish. Many who felt called to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so that the fish would know the difference between a good and a bad fisherman. Others felt that simply letting the fish know that they were nice, land-loving neighbors, and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's club and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day persons suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if, year after year, he never fishes? More plainly, is one really a follower of Jesus? if he never fishes for men. It's time that we, at this church, start to cast our nets. Who is the one that you're going to go after? I'm going to invite the band to come back up as I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would stop talking about fishing Stop learning how to fish, but yet actually just go out and fish. Lord, I pray that you'd start with me. And I just confess before my fellow fishermen that I don't always uh, do a good job with this. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would give us a love for you that compels us to have a love for for the people that you've created in your image. That everyone that we come in contact with 
has been created in your image. That image has been distorted, it's been tainted, but it hasn't been destroyed. That they still have value. And Lord, you love them. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us boldness to go tell people about Jesus. That we would go make disciples of all nations. Lord, may we, may we be encouraged when we hear about uh, others who are fishing and, and, and just getting excited about what the Lord's doing. Lord, I pray that, uh, that those stories would just encourage us. They would give us encouragement and boldness that we would need to go this week and tell people about uh, this incredible story of redemption. That you are forgiving the sins of the world. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for healing our greatest need today. Lord, may we go out and tell people that story of redemption. May we go out expectantly today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.